Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us on the Kirk Church Podcast. I'm Aaron Elmore, lead pastor at Kirk of the Hills, located in Tulsa, Oklahoma. This is where you can hear messages from all our pastors and guest speakers. Make sure to subscribe and share with anyone who follows the Kirk. If you want to know more about us, visit us at thekirk.com, like us on Facebook, or follow us on Instagram at the Kirk Church. Let's get started with today's episode. Well, good morning. Welcome to the Kirk. So glad that you're here. It's so exciting to be able to start this new series today. Um, It's a new series that focuses on our mission statement. And our mission statement says that we are for you. Do you know know that we're for you? We care about you people. We do. We care about you. We care that you are in a place where you can grow spiritually, where you can get discipled, where you can learn more about who Jesus is. Uh, We care about your family. We care about what God is doing in your life. We care about you and we're for you. We're also for Tulsa, which is the city that we live in and the, the place where God has called us. And over the past couple of years, we've really been focusing on that particular part of our vision. What does it mean to really love the city that God has called us to? What does it mean to reach out and to know the city and to be involved in the city and to be known by the city as a church that cares for it? Finally, we are for the world. And that's what our sermon series is entitled, For the World, because we as a church are for the world. Well, that's easy to say, but what does it mean? What does it really mean to be for the world? And how can we intentionally focus our attention on the world? This was a question that the early church wrestled with. It didn't come easy for them. It didn't come naturally for them, just as it doesn't come easy or naturally for us. And the Holy Spirit made several changes in the church that caused their vision to turn from within to without, to focus on the world. And today we're going to look at three changes that we see in this particular passage in chapter 13 of the book of Acts to see how the Holy Spirit redirects our attention toward the world. The first of those changes is a new sight. A new sight. Our passage begins like this. Now in the church at Antioch. Well, before this, the church was centered in Jerusalem. Jerusalem. It's the place of the people of God. It's the the place of the temple. And here's a picture of a model in Jerusalem of the Temple Mount in the first century. And that Temple Mount was beautiful. It was situated on a hill above the rest of the city. And then it was built up from there, white gleaming stones that everyone would see. Every day was dominated by the view of the temple. The people who ran the temple were the same priests and the same leaders that had crucified Jesus. Same guys, same cast of characters. And there was an incredibly strong pull on the church to remain Jewish, to be Jewish yet Christian, 
to keep the, the traditions and the mindset of the Jews. We see this in the latter part of the book of Acts. We see it in the epistles reflected. This was an incredible pull on them. And this is why God moves the center of the church to Antioch in Syria from Jerusalem. Antioch was a large Greek city and it was situated on the Mediterranean Sea. It had a view, a beautiful view of the Mediterranean Sea. And the Mediterranean Sea was the, was the very center of the Roman world. And so this city was a window on the Roman world. This is where God moves the center of the church. The leaders of this church don't look like the leaders in Jerusalem. Let's see what the scripture says. It's now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. Look at this group. They are very different from the leaders of the church in Jerusalem, which are all the apostles. They all looked alike, right? They were all from Galilee or Judea. They all spoke the same language. They were all pretty much from the same group. However, this group, we have Barnabas and Saul, who were Hellenistic Jews, they're Jews by blood, but they had grown up outside of Palestine. They had grown up in the Roman world, in the Greek world. Then we have a guy named Simeon, uh, who's called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene. Both of them probably Africans. Cyrene is from North, a is a place in North Africa. And this guy is, Simeon's called Niger. That tells you something. All right. So these guys are probably African. And then we've got this guy, Manan. We don't know what he is, but he grew up in hanging out with the family of Herod in a totally pagan Roman context. All right. So we've got this group of leaders that are very diverse and very different from the people in Jerusalem, from the leaders of the church in Jerusalem they represent where the church is going, not where the church has been. This is how different they are. But they were also the same as the church in Jerusalem and as the people of God down through the ages. It says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, they're still doing the same things that we're called to do as the church, right? They're worshiping the Lord and they're fasting and they're praying and they're seeking God. And these are the things that don't change. You see, we want a church, our church, to be different in the way that it looks. We want our church to be increasingly younger. Amen? We want younger people. Why? Just because, just so we can be hip? So we can be cool? No! We want younger people because we want the next generation to know Jesus Christ. Amen? We want the next generation to be growing in their faith and committed to the worship and the service of the Lord. Amen? That's what we desire. We want our church to be more diverse. Why? Why do we want it to be more diverse? So just so that we can say, hey, we're like really cool. We're like young and hip and diverse. No! We want the church to be more diverse because our community is becoming ever more diverse. 
And we want our church to be a reflection of the community that God's called us to. to. We want our church to be reaching out to all kinds of people and discipling all kinds of people and drawing all kinds of people into community from different ethnic groups, from different socioeconomic groupings in our city, from all different parts of the community that God has called us to. That means that we are doing our job effectively, that we are reaching out beyond ourselves to our world. That's what we desire. But yet we also want to remain the same, unchanged where it counts, with a heart for worship, a devotion to the gospel, a commitment that is unwavering to the word of God. Amen? Those are the things that never change. Committed to prayer, committed to seeking God and doing what he's called us to do. The point is this. The Jerusalem church could not take the gospel to the world. It took the Antioch church to take the gospel to the world. So you may be asking, what are you saying? Are you saying we need to abandon our church building and move to a different site, to a different place? Are you saying that we're just too much alike and we've got to stop hanging out together? The answer is no, that's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that sometimes we need a change of site. That's why for the last 30 years, this church has been committed to encourage every single member of this congregation to go on a mission trip, to go somewhere and see the church in a different way. You just heard from Derek about his trip to Africa and the impact that that had on his life. Sometimes we need to see the church in a different color. Sometimes we need to hear the church in a different language. Sometimes we need to see the church of Jesus Christ from a different point of view. And when we do that, it changes us. It changes the way we understand the church. It changes who we are. I grew up in New Jersey in a suburban community much like this one. I went to college in the same community. I never left until I left and went to the mission field, went to Costa Rica. And I went to Central America and I was introduced to a church that was very different than the church that I've ever, ever, that I had ever experienced. They had a lot less than we had. I remember going out in the countryside and worshiping in churches and it was raining so hard on tin roof that you couldn't even hear what the guy was saying, but everybody was worshiping. And they were content with what God had given them. And they had a sense of community that blew me away, that changed the way I saw church. They had a joy that I had never seen in the American church. And then I came up here and I became a missions pastor. And I had the opportunity to go to other places in the world. And I went to Mongolia of all places. And I, and I was introduced to a church that was so evangelistically driven. These people are like spiritual pit bulls for the gospel. They just go after people and they won't let go until they accept Jesus. It was amazing. Most of them were women. Scary. But they brought people to Jesus. It was like crazy. And I saw an evangelistic spirit that I had never seen in the church before. It changed me. 
And then I went to Russia and I saw a church that had come through the fires of persecution. And I saw a church that lived out devotion to Christ like I'd never seen. Devotion in the face of opposition. And it changed the way I saw the church. And then I went to Macedonia and I've seen a church that is just beginning, an infant church being born among a people who have never had a church in their history. It's amazing. And so when we travel to different parts of the world, we see the church in a different color, in a different language, in a different way, and it changes us. And we begin to see how God sees the church. You see, we are Jerusalem. See the gleaming white stones? We are Jerusalem. This is the church that we are. And always, always as Christians, we are driven to be content with who we are and where we are. And we become like Jerusalem. And the pull is very strong to stay the same. But God is doing a new thing. He's doing a new thing in our midst. And he wants to mobilize us for the gospel. He wants to use us to take his gospel to a world that needs salvation more than ever. To our own, our own city, to the rest of the world that is suffering under great darkness. We see it, don't we? We see it on the news. And God wants to mobilize us to be part of the solution. To bring the light and the truth of the gospel to the world. We need a new sight. We need to see things differently. Not only do we need a new sight, we also need new insight. Look at what it says here in verses 3 through 5. It says, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. And the two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia, and they sailed from there to Cyprus. So after praying and laying on of hands and a commissioning, Saul and Barnabas are sent off to do what God had called them to do. And God had called them to be the, the, the apostles to the Gentile world. They were called to preach to people who had never heard the gospel before. And so they left Antioch and they went down to the port city. It's kind of like leaving Houston, going down to Galveston. Okay, about the same idea. They go down to the port city and they get on a boat. And where do they go? The Bible says they went to Cyprus. Why did they go to Cyprus? Of all the places in the Roman world, why did they go to this squat little island off the coast? I'll tell you why I think they went there. Because that's where Barnabas was from. Barnabas was from Cyprus. And the Apostle Paul was from Central Asia Minor. This circle represents the first missionary journey. And basically, Saul and Barnabas went home. They went home to the places that they grew up. However, when they lived in those places before, they did everything they could not to engage with the majority of the population. Why? Because they were Jews. And if you're a Jew in the first century, you stay as far away from the Gentiles as you possibly can. You maybe connect with them for business so you can get a little money out of them. But other than that, you are disconnected from the Gentile community. 
You walk around to keep yourself pure because they are unclean. And so they lived in a community, but they didn't know their community because they intentionally avoided it and they lived in their own subculture. As a matter of fact, they were so radical about that. Both Saul and Barnabas left their homelands and go to Jerusalem so they could be surrounded by more people of their own kind. So they wouldn't get contaminated by being close to people of the world. And that's what they did in Jerusalem. But God was changing them. Now they're going back to the same streets that they had walked before. But they're going to engage with those who are living in darkness. You see, God gave them new eyes. New eyes to see. Do you remember the conversion of the Apostle Paul? Do you remember in Acts chapter 9, the Bible says he's on his way to Damascus in order to arrest those who are believers in Jesus Christ. And there on the road, there shines a bright light on him and Jesus appears to him and begins to speak to him. And the Bible says Paul was blinded and he spends three days blinded, laying on his back, contemplating what he had done. He had lost his sight. And I think when Ananias lays his hands on him and gives him his sight back, he got new eyeballs. Because he ends up with a new vision. He begins to see the world differently. And isn't that what happens with us? When we come to know Jesus, he changes us fundamentally. And we begin to see the world differently. That new insight came from his calling. He was now called to reach out to the Gentile world. His personal interaction with Jesus through the Holy Spirit was changing him. And his interaction with God's word was reshaping his mind. This is discipleship, guys. This is what happens to us. As we grow in our faith, we read God's word. We listen to the word preached. We spend time with Jesus in prayer, right? And all of that begins to transform us. It begins to change us. And little by little, we begin to see the world as God sees the world, not as we used to see the world. We get new eyes. We get a new insight into what God is doing and what God wants. And this is what was happening with Paul and Barnabas. We need this new insight. We need to begin to see Tulsa, our home, as God sees it, not as we have always seen it. We've been locked away in our own subculture for too long. There are people we have been avoiding. The world is all around us. We just don't see it. It's been fun to watch in our church. We have a team of people that have been adopting Afghan families. And I tell you what, these people that have been in our little South Tulsa subculture for so long and church world for so long, they know more about the Muslim community in Tulsa than probably the mayor does. They know everything there is to know about where to buy halal approved food. They know everything there is to know about where to get translation from Pashtun or from Dari, the Dari language. I mean, these are people from our church, from our traditional service predominantly, who have learned more about the mosque than we know about even our church. It's pretty cool. They have connected with a whole culture that exists among us that we were blind to. 
And now they are connecting with it and ministering the gospel in the midst of it. That's awesome. That is awesome. And it doesn't stop there. We have, we have support groups that meet at our church every week. We have a group called Finding Hope that is connecting with people who are struggling, families who are struggling with a member of their family that's in, in, involved in addiction of some sort. Well, that's a whole subculture within our, within, our, within our community of people that are dealing with that kind of addiction. And we're now intimately involved with those families. That's incredible. We have a group of people that are working with folks that have been through divorce and people are coming from all over our community to our church for divorce care classes. We have people that are coming for grief share classes that are dealing with that. We have presented to you many different opportunities to get involved with all of the different ministries that are connecting with different parts of our community, such as the homeless or North Tulsa or different, the poor and needy among us. There are all kinds of opportunities for you. But just like Saul and Barnabas had to go down to the port and get on the boat, you got to get on the boat. Amen? You got to get on the boat. You got to do something. You got to go somewhere. We'll help you. We'll support you. But God is calling you to get on the boat, to go and do something, to go somewhere, to connect with people that are in need so that they may hear the truth of the gospel. This is what he's calling us to. I want to point you out, point to you, uh, verse nine. Verse nine is, it's, it's the point at which the apostle, apostle Paul gets his name, Paul, instead of Saul. And you would expect a real big ceremony where the Lord would appear to him and say, you are no longer called Saul. Now you will be known as Paul, right? Doesn't happen that way. Here's what happens. This is the verse. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit and goes on from there. Mwah, mwah. Right? Kind of like, that's not very climactic. That's not very exciting. But let me tell you, and more I think about this verse, Paul was a bicultural person. He grew up in the Greek-speaking world, connected. He was a Roman citizen, and he had a name, Paul, that he despised because he saw himself as a Jew, and he favored his Jewish name, which was Saul. And so he downplayed his Paulness in favor of his Saulness, And he wanted to be more Saul. But you see, God wanted to use that part of his identity. And finally now that he's operating in his calling and he's finally out in the Gentile world doing what God called him to do, that part of his personality comes up and he's now Saul. He's now Paul, no longer Saul. And he's never called Saul except when he goes back to Jerusalem for the rest of the book of Acts. He is Paul. He owns who he is. And God wants to use you. He wants to change your identity. And there may be parts of you that you've said, you know, God could never use this part of me. But it may be that very part of you that will allow you to connect with people in the world. And he may promote that part of you. Own it. Be who God made you. Be a Paul. Allow God to redefine your life. New insight. 
So we've seen the new sight, we've seen new insight. Now we want to talk about lost sight. See what I did there? The focus of this passage is Saul and Barnabas and their interaction with the Gentile world. Let's see what it says. Then they traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. There they met a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bar-Jesus, who was an attendant of the proconsul Sergius Paulus. What? Paul's meeting with Harry Potter? And with some Roman dude? These are people that would have been off limits to them in their former mindset. They would have never been able to connect with these people. This guy represented the Roman Empire. How evil can that be? And then you've got this other guy who's a sorcerer who is misusing and misrepresenting spiritual power and to make it worse, he's like half Jewish. So he's like on a blasphemous abomination. But Paul connects with these people. It's very interesting that these two people are chosen. They're like the poster childs, children, for, they're the poster children for the first missionary journey. They're set before us as examples of the, of the lost world that we are to minister to, that the apostle Paul ministers to. And I think it's very interesting. He chooses these two, a Roman official and a sorcerer. There's a power encounter that happens here at the very beginning of the Gentile, of the outreach to the Gentile world. It's interesting when you think about that in terms of Jesus. When Jesus came into the world, according to the Gospel of Mark, Matthew, Luke, the very first miracle that he does was in the synagogue in Capernaum. And he confronts a demon-possessed man in the synagogue. There's a power encounter. And we see this power encounter take place. We see this sorcerer engaged in his, using his influence against the gospel. Well, what do I want to say about this? You may think doing God's will should be easy. It won't be. It isn't supposed to be. As a matter of fact, when you get involved in God's will and you start reaching out to the world, it gets messy. That's a guarantee. It gets weird really fast. And you'll begin to encounter things that you never saw before. Weird stuff, strange stuff, scary stuff. But we don't need to be afraid. Amen? We don't need to be afraid of the power of this world. Why? Because light is more powerful than darkness. Amen? It seems like wickedness is increasing in our world, isn't it? Feels like it's increasing all around the world and especially here in the United States. And I think that's true. But light is always more powerful than darkness. You never see light strain against darkness. Light just naturally dispels darkness. There's no contest. And the power of God is more powerful than the power of the enemy. It's not yin and yang. It's not a balance. It's not a struggle. It's not the dark side versus the light side. It's God, period. Amen? And so you don't need to be afraid. We need to engage with the world, even though there are things there, there are powers there that we may encounter, but we can be confident in the power of our Lord. 
It goes on and says, filled with the Holy Spirit. Let's see what he says. Now, the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to be blind, Paul says to, uh, to this sorcerer, for a time. Not even able to see the light of the sun. Immediately, mist and darkness came over him, and he groped about, seeking someone to lead him by the hand. And when the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching of the Lord. Okay, so we have this uh, power encounter that happens, and the sorcerer becomes blind. Now, I think it's appropriate that the Holy Spirit blinded the sorcerer. You know why? Because he was already blind spiritually. And so his physical blindness is simply a reflection of the spiritually blind condition that he already possessed. And so now he's groping about in the darkness with his hands outstretched, looking for someone to lead him. He's blind. He needs somebody to lead him. The world is full of blind people spiritually, right? They're groping around in the darkness with their hand out for someone to lead them. Who can lead them? Us, you, me. Why? Because we have the light. We can see. God has already given us new sight, new vision. And so rather than judging the blind people for being blind, we're good at that, aren't we? We judge blind people for being blind. Oh, you're so evil, you people of the world. Well, do they have a choice? We can't expect them to see when they're blind. We need to pray for them. We need to have compassion for them. We need to reach out our hand and take them by the hand and lead them to Jesus Christ. Amen? That's what God calls us to do. That's what the Apostle Paul needs to do with Elemas. He says to this guy, he says, you're going to be blind for a time. And I can't help but think that Paul wasn't remembering his own experience when he was blinded by the Holy Spirit because of his stupidity, right? By working against the purposes of God and God blinded him, but he was only blinded for a short period of time, for three days. And then he received new eyeballs so that he could see clearly, right? And the same is true with this guy. There is always hope for those who are lost. Amen? We don't know who God's going to save. We don't know what's happening in their hearts. All we know, we don't know what their own blindness is going to cause them to do, to cry out to God, to look for hope, to reach out their hand. But we must be willing to take it. Amen? Finally, the story ends with Sergius Paulus believing the gospel and and, and, and the sorcerer blind. And I think this is a picture for us of what is to happen as we go out into the world. Some will believe. Some will come to the light and some will be blinded. And some will remain in their darkness just the way it is. The point is we don't know which ones are which. So the best we can do is sow the seed. And none of that will happen if we don't go. None of that will happen if we don't get out of Jerusalem. So the question is, are you for the world? Are you for the world? The only way that you can be for the world is if you make a decision to intentionally be for the world. Otherwise, you're not going to do it. The church couldn't do it. It took them till chapter 13 in the book of Acts to get out of town. 
to readjust their sights and move out into the world. And God had been calling them to do that all along. It's not natural. It's not easy. We must be determined. Are you for the world? Are you willing to respond to the call that God has laid on on your heart and on our church? In Jesus' name, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have called us. Lord, we're humbled that you desire to have us participate in the expansion of your kingdom. And we pray, Lord God, that you would open our eyes, that you would give us new insight, that you would take us to a new site so that we may see the church in a different way and the world in a different way. We pray, Lord God, that we would see the lost in a different way, the ones who are blinded and have no sight so that we may lead them by the hand into the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.